بسم الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله جزاك الله خيرا for joining us on another episode of the Corona podcast Inshallah today there's a slightly different feature that we're going to have and this will be an interview with a doctor based in the United States of America I'm sure everyone wants to know what's happening in, in the US in, in light of the coronavirus situation and inshallah we hope to, to unpack a discussion today um, I have my guest, Dr. Abdul Rafa, who is a doctor, or what they say, a physician, um, based in Chicago, which is the third largest city um, in the United States of America. And we're going to have a, a very natural discussion about all things US and all things Corona. Um, and we're going to discuss a number of different topics. We're going to delve into the situation in the United States of America. We're going to try and look at what's happening in New York City, because it's absolutely crazy at the moment, as all of you can see. We'll speak about the American health system, some, some conversation about the minorities, especially African-Americans and also prisoners in prisons. And we'll also talk about the orange man, Donald Trump, and what's happening with the USA, vaccines, big pharma, and also China. So, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, brother. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah khairan for having me on your show. Appreciate the opportunity. No, jazakallah khairan for, for, for joining us. Um, what, what time is it at, at, at your end? Uh, it's almost 1 p.m. Uh, in the afternoon here at, uh, in Chicago right now. Okay, mashallah. And how's, how's the weather yeah. on your side, bro? Uh, you know what? It's weird. We're still, it's still cold. It's still freezing. Uh, Chicago weather is is uh, is known for that. Unfortunately, uh, things wow. change within a few hours here in, in Chicago. So uh, it's like f- almost forty degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which I don't know what translates to Celsius in, in your guys. <laughs> Divide by uh, three, bro. I'm a, I'm a doctor, <laughs> not a mathematician, so yeah. <laughs> I'm sure one of some of our viewers can probably calculate that quicker than us. But yeah, it's probably like around four four degrees Celsius or something okay, like wow, that. Wow, that's, yeah. that's cold. Yeah, <laughs> that's cold. <laughs> yeah, so it's middle of May and we're still uh, still have cold weather. But wow. so that's just unfortunately that's just Chicago weather. I think I think I think I appreciate yeah. it, bro, because yeah. um, you know we've had uh, twenty eight degrees of sunshine yesterday, and we're down at seven degrees today. So it's oh, uh, okay. it's we've had the same <laughs> level of variation. Um, the one, the few weeks of sunshine you get in the UK. Uh, few weeks uh brother <laughs> Rafa, you're being very generous <laughs> very generous um but but inshallah i'm sure i'm sure we'll, we'll keep optimistic because sunshine yeah. brings optimism alhamdulillah um and and so inshallah we'll, we'll get into the into the crux of it um it'll be it'll be very helpful and very insightful to to know what what, what you've been up to um as a doctor um and how things have changed for you um whether it be as a physician or even in terms of life during the whole corona situation in the US? Yeah. Um, you know, alhamdulillah, with everything, there is, there is, some, there is always a benefit uh, that comes for a, for a Muslim, you know. Um, personally, I think this crisis, this pandemic has, um, has given a bit of a refocus into the, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and just, you know, just the idea that, you know, it's just a little virus can uh, can affect humanity in such a scale. It you know brings you back to your own mortality. 
So I think those discussions have become more prominent uh, in the minds of people, especially within my household and, and you know, uh, within my sphere uh, of influence or discussions that I've had. But in terms of professionally, I, just because of my specialty, you know, um, it has been slow, uh, believe it or not, just because uh, certain sectors of population, certain physicians, um, you know, their, their busy lifestyles have changed uh, because of the lockdown, let's say, in, in the United States, and that's happening in, in Chicago area, um, not being able to see as many patients because they're, they're not necessarily, um, um, you know, within the, the, the regular stuff that you typically see are not, is not coming through. Mm. You know, most of the physicians are trying to focus on dealing with the, the virus uh, dealing with uh, COVID infections and, and so forth. So alhamdulillah, I mean, uh, you know, I've been able to spend a little bit more time with, with the kids, uh, with family uh, and so forth. Alhamdulillah, I think it's, uh, you, you echo the thinking amongst most people here, to be honest. It's, mm. been, a, it's been a very reflective phase, I think, yeah. for, for everyone. Um, I call it a bit like, you know, the, the Ramadan for the world. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Alhamdulillah, you know, this Ramadan. I think at least for the past uh, uh, seventeen days that have gone by, I think were one of the best Ramadans I've had. To be honest with you, just because of the amount of um, con- reconnection with the Quran, the amount of time that's spent with the family, uh, you know, because you know, obviously the massages are closed here. Uh, we don't even have Jimma and so forth. So uh, we are forced into self-reflection. We're forced into um, this sort of um, self-isolation. And, and now we have uh, the Quran that's, that has become the source for your spirituality. And, and, and all of the parties and all of the stars are all gone. You know, uh, So it's about reflecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's all about reflecting on, um, on the deen and, 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 uh, refocusing ourselves to uh, you know um, refocusing ourselves towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no absolutely alhamdulillah it's been a, it's been a, a nice Ramadan for, for me as well I mean whilst the parties and the iftars have all, all gone away alhamdulillah my, my missus has been making a, a wider range of, of, of dishes so uh, my tummy <laughs> is certainly very very happy alhamdulillah <laughs> not sure what my arteries are doing at the moment though unfortunately <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Um, alhamdulillah. Um, so, Dr. Abdul Rafir, um, tell us about if you can perhaps tell us about the the situation in the USA. Um, you know, it looks like it's just exponentially gone from zero to a hundred. Um, just and for us in the UK, it's been we've, we've been really following it. So it'd be great to get your insight. Right. Um, you know, I think. I think most of the world probably just knows that the, the New York City area has been the epicenter of this, um, and it has spread across almost 50 states. Uh, with, you know, with infection rates uh, varying from from different states to states, uh, but generally the New York City area, or the major city areas, have been the worst affected, uh, especially the you know major cities like uh, Chicago or LA. Uh, and what we call the tri-state area, which includes New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Because um, that's basically, it's a small area comparatively, but it's all uh, interconnected. So it's just called the tri-state area. Right. 
um, but the, he, there's a huge population uh, in that in that region. Um, you know, there have the 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 response uh, initially from the government was was a bit slow compared to other regions of the world. Uh, and and that probably has to do a lot with the, how the administration took the the, the crisis um, and also probably has to deal with a bit of American uh, typical American arrogance uh, um, you know because we're American nothing you know nothing nothing hurts us kind of situation uh, but you know apparently <laughs> yeah uh, but um, so what we have seen in the recent uh, weeks or so is that there has been uh, a decrease in the curve and um, so in in the curve uh, in terms of uh, in terms of new infections uh, in certain states um, in L- in especially in in Illinois and in in New York as well. So um, although uh, there was much um, uh, much concern in the past few weeks about uh the 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 curve spiking uh again um but uh, alhamdulillah it seems as far as the numbers are concerned there has been either uh, a little plateau or slight decrease in the curve um but you know uh, we're still seeing new uh, infections we're still seeing deaths uh we're still seeing um um people who who have uh had this uh, who have had test who have been tested positive and they're still uh, feeling the symptoms two weeks later and so forth so those cases are still there and and as you know you know um, uh, the the disease has different sort of uh, symptom symptomatology depending on how healthy you are and and what sort of comorbidities you have etc so that's all relevant that's all still going on um, you know, almost every hospital, at least in my area and in the hospitals that I, um, I'm an, uh, an attending physician on, uh, we have floors that are specific for COVID-19 patients, mm-hmm. um, whether they're on ventilators or not, or whether they're just on, um, um, on medications and on the floor for observation and, and so forth. So, you know, almost all the hospitals that I am aware of have uh, patients of that nature, and depending on where these hospitals are, especially in the inner city area, um, the number, the amount of patients are are still significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Subhanallah. It sounds. Um, I mean, you, you you obviously mentioned that the the plateau seems to be. I mean, it seems to be plateauing, but it sounds like hospitals are still relatively rampacked with with patients with COVID nineteen. Um, very reflective of the situation in in, in the UK, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, a, a very interesting question would be, you know, New York seems to be, you know, unilaterally worse than every other place in 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 the United States. Is there a particular reason for this? We understand that New York is an international city, but uh, so are other cities in 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 the US. Um, Right. Do you have, have 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 you got any thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, so New York City is the largest city in, in the United States. I mean, the just the New York City area, you have about eight point four, eight point uh, eight point four, maybe eight point five million people in that in 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 that uh, general region. 
Um, so New York City is probably one of the most diverse cities uh, in the world. You have people from every corner of the world that you can find in, in the New York City area. Um, you know, whether they're from uh, North Africa, whether they're from the Arab com uh, communities, Chinese, Southeast Asians, uh, Puerto Rican, uh, Vietnamese, and so forth. So, I mean, all sort of ethnicities are there, and, and it's a very jam-packed area. Um, you know, I, I, I did. Uh, I used to live in New York City for about four years or so in the in the in the city area. So there's basically like you do. There are five boroughs in New York City. Um, these are five sort of counties or regions, if you want to, if you want to use those terms. Uh, one is called the it's Bronx. The other is Brooklyn, uh, Manhattan, Queens, and and Staten Island. Uh, so I wasn't in, in the in in Queens, and the Queens area is where most of the uh, high rate of infections is uh, and that is where a lot of immigrant population is there a lot of lower income families are there a lot of people living in in housings uh, where there are multiple peoples in the house you know uh, where you really can't do what we call social distancing here I'm not sure what terminology you guys are using same, over there. same for us same, okay, yeah. um, so it's very very difficult to do that um, and um, you know one um, you know, for example, the area that I used to live in, and that's one of the hospitals that has been hit quite hard. It's a level one trauma center over there. And that uh, just on a normal day, the ER or the emergency department would be jam-packed where people would be uh, aligned in, uh, in, the, in the hallways and stuff like that because of the amount of population. That's just a normal day. Uh, but with this, you know, the whole hospital has been run has been overtaken by COVID patients and COVID infections and so forth. So I think the, the main issue is, is the amount of people that are there, uh, the amount of uh, the concentration of people rather, right? Uh, because it's a small area, but there's a huge concentration of people. Uh, so there is an exponential spread of, uh, of a disease just because of that. Um, um, lower income families, a lot of comorbidities. Uh, there are a lot of ethnic populations uh, that don't have uh, good health care or don't have good um, good health in general. You know, um, so there's a lot of Chinese population as well. Um, there's a lot of uh, Muslim population. So the, I think some of the things that maybe many people don't realize is that the the people that are getting affected in New York City. Uh, or who are also dying are Muslims also, you know, because um, that area, uh, Queens area, for example, is highly concentrated with Muslims. A lot of people from Bangladesh and and, uh, um, and uh, India, Pakistan, uh, and so forth. So I think those are the main factors um, that's, that, that has actually caused such a significant uh, amount of cases in, in the, the New York City area. Well, subhanAllah. And because uh, I, I remember actually looking at a video uh, a few weeks ago that was sent, what well, was actually distributed all around Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, but it was um, of someone that was, was, was a very trusted member of the community that um, there were so many different, you know, dead bodies essentially in body bags um, of Muslim patients in, I think it was actually Queens, the Queens area. Um, yeah. within New York City and that naturally leaves a massive impact on, on anyone who was watching it 
Um, yeah, there. Ha- I think a few weeks ago, um, there was a GoFundMe um, uh, campaign just to help the um, the funeral homes, the Muslim funeral homes, to get um, you know those freezer trucks and help with the with the the amount of um, patients that they had to do the janaza for and all of that stuff. Uh, the, the, alhamdulillah, I think the community did, the Muslim community did respond well to such campaigns to get uh, as much help as needed. Uh, but I think they're still uh, getting quite affected, uh, trying to keep up pace with the amount of deaths that they have to deal with. Mm. Oh, subhanAllah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala count those who have passed away from the shuhada, inshallah. I mean, um, now, you mentioned that, for example, you gave Queens where there's normally so many patients and now that's doubled or even trebled in light of the corona issue. How have doctors, generally speaking, and even nurses and the healthcare system within the US coped? Has it managed to, to cope well with it or is it, is it, is it struggling? So, you know, I think um, this has been a big question this has been the big concern for a lot of the, whether it's the government policies or whether it's individuals or even the healthcare uh, st- staff is that we all know the american healthcare system is 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 uh to put it lightly bad <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's 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 a failed healthcare system uh, in reality um so that was already already a given um, now, I think for the most part, most uh, physicians and nurses and people who are dealing with this crisis, they're trying to make the best, they're trying to do the best they can with, with uh, whatever availability they have, uh, trying to treat the patients first and foremost. Uh, um, and, you know, the, the policy stuffs that uh, the government is, 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 is instating or the, the government is pushing through, etc., um, the the hospital staffs, uh, the hospital administrations are just trying to follow that as best as they can. There is definitely resentment. Uh, there is definitely uh, concern about what's going to happen in the future and where are we going with the American healthcare system. Those questions have always been asked and they are continued to be an issue. But I think at this point, uh, for the most part, I think most physicians are trying are, are saying, let's deal with this first and see what we can do with the healthcare system at a later point, right? Uh, but you know, there have been shortages of what we call P, you know the PPE stuff, the mm. personal protective equipments and stuff. Um, uh, but for, for especially at least in in the hospitals that I am uh, staffed at. Um, the hospitals have been able to get enough to sustain okay. uh, sustain themselves. Mm. Um, initially, there was uh, there was quite a bit concern that there were shortages, but over the course of certain weeks, uh, I think they have been able to uh, deal with it. New York City areas, uh, there is still some concern about um, not having proper equipment and all that stuff, but that um, but that I think that has eased up a little bit. Right, yeah. I see. And and you mentioned that the um, that there has been a lot of concern from the American public concerning the healthcare system. It would be very very useful to know what the American system is like um, and what it's based on. Just for naturally, many of the listeners will be from Britain, um, and we know yeah. that there's quite a bit of differences. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely quite different than what you guys have uh, with the NHS there in the, in the UK. Um, here, you know, the healthcare industry um, is probably one of the largest employers, uh, one of the largest employers in terms of the labor force or in terms of the workforce. So I would say the healthcare industry would include, you know, um, hospitals, uh, obviously doctors and nurses, the mm-hmm. pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies, and so forth. So that that whole industry is one of the largest employers in in the country, because um, it, it, it takes a huge sector uh, in terms of the labor force. Uh, but uh, it's it's a private. It's mostly it's a private uh, industry, so it's a for-profit industry. Um, it's dominated by insurance companies. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so j- just to kind of break down of what we, what typically people have in terms of insurances, either they have um, basically they have either um, insu- health insurance that is uh, supplied by their companies. So right. you have to pay a certain premium on a monthly basis to get that insurance, and that has its own problems where you spend depends on what premiums you give what uh, how many children you have and all that stuff so that's a whole complicated thing that happens with that yeah. uh, but in, in in general the, the employers uh, provide you with health insurance for which you actually pay for right. uh, and then the employer also covers a certain part of that bill uh, but you have your own premiums uh, you have to meet certain deductibles uh, so that you uh, that you have also out-of-pocket costs uh, apart from the premiums that you pay on a monthly basis. Um, then you have uh, insurance where people themselves who are, let's say, self-employed, they buy health insurance uh, from these in different insurance companies uh, for themselves and they utilize that to get mm-hmm. medical care. And then finally, there is something called Medicare and Medicaid. That's, that is a government uh, um, government-supplied insurance. Um, so Medicare and Medicaid is, is for basically uh, retirees, uh, the people who have who are above the age of 65, and and or somebody who has disabilities and they're unable to work. So that's where the government uh, uh, government pays for the medical bills and and so forth. So that's the general breakup. I mean, we can go into details a little bit more if you like, but the, that's essentially the general breakup. So either you have private insurance or you have um, government insurance mm-hmm. called Medicare and Medicaid, but that's only for uh, the elderly 65 and above or people who have uh, certain sort of disabilities that does not allow them to work. So uh, for us, so from what I understand, um, unless you're unless you're um you know elderly as an example or have a certain type of disability or you work for a company that will that is willing to to pay for your insurance in its in its entirety um unless you're in one of those two camps you have to contribute towards your healthcare financially in some way shape or form if something happens to you you have to contribute regardless of uh, of any of these insurance plans, so you can have insurance, let's say a private insurance that's supplied through your through your employer. Uh, you pay the monthly premiums. You get sick. You get hospitalized. Yeah. The insurance is not going to pay hundred percent of it. The insurance okay. will say we're going to pay a certain amount uh, because this is your 
this is what you owe. So they'll say, we'll pay 80%, you pay the 20%. Um, or they'll say, you know what, um, you have a deductible, meaning that you have to meet a certain minimum of expenses. After you meet those minimum of expenses, then we will cover the rest of your medical care. Um, right. So, you know, there was a big hoopla about Obamacare and stuff like that that happened during his administration where uh, they wanted insurance for majority of the population. Uh, but even that has not really worked out well because you can buy this insurance, but if your premiums are, are low, then that means your deductibles, that means what you would owe to the insurance companies if you get sick are much higher uh, and many of the people are unable to meet that. So you're still paying out of pocket or still you get into debt because in, into debt because you cannot afford it. So the, the, the healthcare industry is basically geared towards making as much profit as it can um, at the expense of people's health uh, in reality. It's a very brutal system. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, um, the, the value of your disease is basically based on how much is, is how much profit uh, the middlemen, the insurance companies can make out of it. Mm, absolutely. So, so if, if we were to take a scenario, for example, what would someone who from a minority group within within the United States of America, very low income, um, you know, struggling yeah. to make ends meet, and they subsequently, uh, and they may be the sole provider for their entire family, and they happen to get coronavirus and become quite unwell with it, um, you know, to to pay a premium like this, yeah, is what do they do? Is there is there any 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 sense of safety netting for them, or is is this where the debate is? Well, one of the things that, yeah, one of the things that many of the minority populations were concerned about is that who's going to pay for this, right? Uh, if you get infected, if you have to be hospitalized, et cetera. I mean, th that is, has always been a question in the minds of a lot of minority patients is that who's going to pay for my medical expenses if I get sick? Because um, a lot of them, uh, a lot of the people who, who are from the minorities and who are who, let's say, don't have health insurance and so forth, um, they will not see a doctor or go to the hospital, et cetera, because they don't want to get uh, stuck with a huge bill, right? So that's the, uh, and not being able to pay for it. You know, I think the last statistic I read was about 30 million people still don't have uh, health insurance, uh, even after the Obamacare plans and, and all of that stuff. So um, now this, this sort of... Uh, 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 this sort of uh, this sort of concern and thought uh, uh, is always in the minds of the United States populations, especially the minorities, especially the people who have low income, etc. Um, now, the the government did say that they they um, that they will cover or they will they won't charge or at least cover uh, the expenses of COVID nineteen patients. But Allah alam, I don't know how significant that would, how true that is, to be honest with you. Um, you know, because uh, they, they did send in some funding, and this was after the stimulus package where the hospitals would get, get some money uh, if they have COVID patients from the government. Um, so 
so that they will be able to treat them and so that they will be able to you know uh, cover their expenses and stuff like that so a certain policy has been put in place uh, but allahumma alam how this will pan out right because we don't know what's going to happen um, at the end of the road if these patients will still get the those huge amounts of bills and, and so forth i mean just just a hospital visit just stepping into the emergency room is a big expense think think about ending up in icu on a ventilator etc Th- that's millions of dollars really yeah it's you know it's not it's not cheap here you know it's just a significant amount of money um and one of the i think the, the one of the things uh where uh, especially in the united states the one of the main reasons why people go bankrupt is because of uh, medical bills uh yeah um so some some minority populations don't even end up going to the hospital they think they'll we'll just we'll just uh, you know uh, fight it out here uh because we don't want to incur such a huge amount of debt and so forth um so i think that's also one of the reasons why um a lot of the a lot of the people who have been infected have been um the the statistics have skewed towards the minority populations whether it's african american latin uh, latin american uh hispanic populations subhanallah that's uh, that's really deep insight that you've provided dr abdul rafis and um and 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 it just feels like or it just seems like actually everything um this entire corona escapade almost in america especially um has has still remained a profit making enterprise um i was reading just the other day on in in a british newspaper the guardian um which explained that i mean it's 20 million people have in america have gone into have become unemployed as a result of this and the stimulus package which promised to give some form of rebate to those who have been made uh, unemployed um hasn't even come close in 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 any in any sense to what they were on before yeah uh, the, the stats are actually much higher um so since i mean it's been um so we have been under lockdown uh you stay at home restrictions for almost 2 months now uh so the 2 month uh unemployment rate uh, the, the unemployment rate totally has has come to um 33 million 33 million that's um 33 million uh, the the 20 million stat that you just you just said was just in april that's just half uh, the uk population yeah so you have a total of 33 million um uh, people that are currently unemployed um so that's about 20% of the labor force or the workforce i think you guys use the term workforce over there so that's 20% of the of the labor force um and this has been the highest even this is more than the great depression in the 1930s mm-hmm. so it's a, it's been a huge huge amount of people that have become unemployed uh the stimulus package really doesn't do much uh for the individual um because you know every i think everybody got $1200 uh per person who needed it obviously based on their incomes etc that's not enough to pay most people's rents it's not enough to pay for uh if you have if you include rent and 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 uh 
just your utilities, bills, and stuff like that. Sometimes for some, some people, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Majority of the United States population lives hand-to-mouth, meaning that they, within, uh, they live paycheck to paycheck, uh, literally. So most of the population, majority of the population do not have savings. Uh, and if they do, those savings run out within, uh, within about three to four weeks. So by the next mm-hmm. month, you're done. Uh, so people who have been furloughed, who have been, uh, uh, have lost their jobs, uh, these 33 million people um, are in a state of crisis, really. Um, and the unemployment rate, I think they were saying that it might still go up in the next few weeks. And that's why there has been a significant push uh, in certain states to reopen the economies because of uh, some of the pressure that they are they are getting from uh, the people themselves uh, that has some political aspects to it also. I think we can discuss that a bit later. But uh, th- there is a there's a huge concern about uh, where the economy is going. But uh, so that's just the that's just the outcome of what has happened in the past two months or so. And even this is where you have even while this is happening, you have um, big pharma, major healthcare industry, uh, uh, etc. They're trying to obviously think about their bottom line. They're thinking about how to make profit out of this. You know, um, the whole thing with uh, certain drugs that are getting marketed for. You know, um, uh, that never ends. That 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 continues to happen. I mean, even now the insurance companies. Are, are concerned or they're, they're hard at work to make sure that their profits are still uh, intact, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, absolutely, it's, um, it looks like, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's profit over, over lives, actually. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's unfortunately very similar things can be echoed through the, through the British experience in terms of policy. Um, but it'll be interesting to get your thoughts about reopening the economy, actually. Um, we're, we're going through a phase at the moment where that's the discussion. Um, that's naturally the discussion in, in, in most Western nations at the moment. Um, I, I recently read once again in America, I'm not sure which state it was, but there was lockdown kind of ended almost in, in, in one of the states in the US where certain shops were open again. And, but all of these shops were completely empty. Restaurants were empty. Cafes were empty because people people feared things like a second wave people feared that this was a premature decision and it uh, it looks a lot of it looks like it's um uh it's it's driven by the upcoming election for example what what are your thoughts about some of these things yeah um you know it's it's a bit of uh there's two ends to it. There's two parts to it, actually. Um, there is definitely pressure uh, from uh, within the government and outside and within the population as well to reopen the economies. Um, so the question is always, and especially because, you know, it's a, um, it's a cost-benefit sort of a discussion, really, because if you open it too soon, then the concern is, okay, are we, are we putting ourselves at risk to a second wave of, uh, of infection rates because now people will stop their social distancing and all of a sudden now within a couple of weeks of reopening the economy because of intermingling of, of the citizens, 
you end up having uh, an increase in, in in new cases. So that's one aspect. The other is, you know, what we cannot continue to be under lockdown. It is it is it is not good for the economy. It is not good for for people and and, and so forth. Uh, so this is something. Um, that's a bit of a uh, of a debate. Now, added to this is the the uh, political theater that is being played uh, in certain states, where um, some of these some of the people are coming, especially like for example in, in Michigan and Ohio uh, and other states where uh, people have come out and protested in front of the government uh, building, saying that we need to go back to work. We uh, we we uh, don't want to be under lockdown anymore. It is hurting us. Um, and then the conspiracy theories also kind of feed into the paranoia and 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 uh, feed into that. So I think, yeah, from my perspective at least, uh, some of these protests that are that are taking place have. Uh, I feel that they're coordinated. Uh, I feel that the Republican Party, the, uh, because of the, elect- the elections coming up, is playing to that crowd. And mostly, most of these people are Trump supporters with, uh, with you know, uh, firearms uh, at their waist sides and waving the American flag and asking for freedom from the government's oppression uh, and so forth. So um, I think there, there, there is a bit of uh, political theater that's being played out. Uh, um, and then because most of them are either Trump supporters and they're, they're basically echoing that. And unfortunately, you see um, the mixed messaging from the government itself. You know, at one point, Trump will he'll, he'll side with the protesters and saying, oh, yeah, you know, well, they have the right to protest. They have the right to ask for uh, uh, the economy to be reopened. Uh, so the governors are under pressure. Mm. Um and on the other hand, he will turn around and say, you know what, we're not uh, ready yet, uh, and so forth. So, you know, I think this is this is yet another example of how um, government policy uh, in this crisis has been all over the place. There hasn't been a uh, there hasn't been a cohesive policy in terms of addressing this issue from the beginning, from the outset. This was just all. This was just all we'll just deal with it as it comes along, you know? Um, and I think, you know, Dr. Fauci and the other people who are part of the advisory committee, you know, to be honest, I think that they're, they're, they're probably just doing their best they can to manage the, uh, the big orange man. But, um, uh, but like, like I said, I mean, there is, you know, there are people who want to take benefit out of what's happening whether it's for political uh, gain or whether it's for financial gain. Uh, this is capitalism 101. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, capitalism at its purest, isn't it? It's, uh, sure. I, think, I think even in uh, naturally throughout the Western Hemisphere, really, um, there's been very little preparation for, for coronavirus, despite it being known to them for, uh, for many months prior to when it arrived mm-hmm. on their shores. And it looks like, um, like you've given through some of the examples you have, policy isn't necessarily driven with the interests of the people at heart. It's been driven through a mixture of political interests as well as economic interests. But I want to let me let me yeah. put one point in. Sorry to cut you off. I mean, no even, problems. Uh, even when 
um, I think when the United States was basically forced into this lockdown situation, you know, because of this exponential spread at New York and how it was affecting, but and it didn't want to do any of these, uh, for example, testing and, and um, uh, testing people who are coming in from outside, you know, at the airports and, and stuff and so on. United States did not do that at all. And the main question had always been, uh, what about the economy? You know, the economic uh, question was the driving factor for uh, for a lot of the initial um, um, uh, statements that came out, initial concerns that were that in, initial policies that were implemented. And once you saw that the infection rate had such drastically increased, uh, I mean, there was no other option but to lock the lock down New York City uh, in, in general. Um, and because of that, it just became a cascade of other states getting on the bandwagon and locking down um, and asking for federal funding. Uh, because this was one of the, and, and you'll see it was very, uh, it, you could see how fishy it got because uh, as soon as the government announced there will be federal funding to deal with the disease, all of the go- governors from different states said, okay, we're going to implement the uh, lockdown measures and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff because they requested federal funding and so forth. Some states got it, some states did not. Uh, but the the factor that basically drove much of the policy was initially financial, right? Um, and you could see that, and especially at, at the beginning of March, as soon as um, it started to hit the financial markets, then, you know, people's uh, attentions were diverted toward the OEM, well, this is a healthcare crisis, we need to figure this out. And we need to figure this out quickly. And I think by the time it was already too late, the Fed had to inject initially $1.5 trillion into, to shore up the, uh, the stock market, and then the whole stimulus packages came along and so forth. Mm, absolutely. And I wanted to pick up on something you said earlier, actually, um, not to segue into the discussion, but I always find conspiracy theories incredibly interesting. <laughs> We've had some, I have to say, excellent ones you know excellent not from a from a doctor practitioner point of view but some really some really nicely engineered conspiracy <laughs> theories um i'll give you a really good one where yeah. uh, I, I and i spoke to i spoke i spoke about this in my podcast last where i had a patient who um who was incredibly sick in 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 the emergency department what you call er um and uh you know oxygen saturations about 67 percent um you know and uh, with 15 liters got to about 82 percent you know just Mm. really struggling Mm. um and i asked him i kept on asking him why why he hadn't come to the hospital earlier because he was unwell for a good amount of time Mm. and he he took his right hand and he took it to his uh you know his elbow crease his anticubital fossa and basically said i was because i've heard you give people the you know the uh the lethal injection the lethal injection of death (laughs) Um, and I, and I, and I actually had to think for a minute whether this was real, whether this was reality <laughs> or whether this was, uh, this was, this wasn't real, but, but what are some of the, um, uh, theories that you've heard and actually how do you, how do you, how do you deal with them, um, in your own practice and in your own communication with people? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think most of the theories have been the same across uh, continents. Uh, I think the, the, uh, 
just on the offset, um, the 5G conspiracy and the coronavirus has not hit not hit our shores yet. Uh, I think the only reason why because it's uh, we don't have 5G. <laughs> you know, now we'll have mercy upon yourselves, inshallah. <laughs> you know, we're still struggling with 4G and uh, and so forth. Uh, some of these tech companies they're advertising 5G capability has. Uh, we have 5G capability and so forth. But anyway, that's a side discussion. But, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, th- there's so many conspiracy theories, and especially in the Muslim community. Uh, obviously, there, there's, there's conspiracy theories across uh, different communities as well. Uh, and, you know, just because of our Muslim community also, there's all, everybody has this sort of uh, WhatsApp messages and some aunties and uncles forwarding you these videos from this doctor, that doctor, or this person. And uh, the, the new one has been the pandemic. I don't know if you've uh, yes, seen Yes, the, uh, the, the documentary. Documentary. Uh, that's been... Pandemic, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's everywhere now. Um, yeah, that's everywhere, right, yeah. Um, so, you know, what we... I think a few, what I, I did specifically was that a few months... Uh, when this crisis started... And when we started to see a lot of these conspiracy theories, um, we did a, a similar sh- um, podcast or Facebook Live event. Mm. And I had uh, several physicians come on and actually give a breakdown of the disease. Uh, so that, uh, and it was more focused towards our Muslim community uh, so that they know what what's what, <clears throat> if this disease is real and so forth, et cetera. Um, so efforts like this, at least on my part, and, and some of the other physicians that uh, that deal with people, that is definitely needed to fight off some of these conspiracy theories. Um, but I think it's going to be it's going to continue on. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a, a stop to any of these conspiracy theories. Some will be uh, fantastical as 5G uh, or as weird as the pandemic, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, I think it comes from a certain, um, a certain sense of distrust of the government, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I can understand where, uh, where people have uh, the tendency to believe in, in stuff uh, like this. But, uh, and I think it comes from that general idea that there is a certain level of distrust from the government because the governments have lied before. Right, they've lied multiple times to get into wars, to to implement draconian uh, uh, draconian laws, and so forth. So it's coming from that perspective. Uh, but I think there has to be some sort of a healthy, healthy critique, healthy uh, skepticism. Um, you know, I think from if you look talk to the physicians who are dealing with this, they'll say, "Look, this is a <clears throat> this is a." This is a disease, it's, and, and, and if you talk to biologists or, bio, or virologists who study uh, cell structure and all of that stuff, they'll tell you this can't be man-made, right? And this can't be engineered uh, in such a manner that uh, <clears throat> um, is jumping from patient to patient and all of that stuff, and it, it has such a massive spread and, and so forth. Uh, these viruses do occur naturally. Uh, and so forth. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's gonna, it's part of our duty, I think, just to uh, dispel some of these conspiracy theories mm-hmm. as, as physicians, as uh, responsible community members, and even just Muslims, man. I think Muslims, 
we have to be a bit more uh, vigilant about what we are we are messaging, right? I think many Muslims just they just forward these uh, these videos etc. without their due diligence, um, and it just uh, it creates an unnecessary panic. It creates unnecessary information. We're not supposed to spread lies and and, and misinformation as a Muslims anyway. Um, but I think they'll they'll continue to keep coming and going. And one of the guys, I think his name is Rashid uh, Butter. Uh, Russia, yeah, he's an American physician. He's he also got a, quite a bit of play, uh, especially in the Muslim community, just because he has a Muslim name, Russia, you know. Um, but his story has changed over the course of the. Initially, he was, I think he he denied the virus existed. This was all a hoax and all that stuff. Now he's he's saying it's it's been patented. There's a patent on it from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, and so forth. Um, you know, the thing with these things is that there, there always is some factor of truth in them. Mm. Um, and then, but there's a huge amount of jumps people that they make, you know, Absolutely. that's the, that's the issue. Um, but you're saying in, in, in origin, it's, uh, it's as a result of an underlying dis- distrust. Cause we, we, I mean, I'm sure we, we appreciate the anxiety that people have, you know, it's, it's right. killing people. It's, it's naturally going to have. Subhanallah, a massive impact on on people's psychological health and how afraid they are. We've, I mean, most of our admissions, or a lot of them, not admissions, but those people who come to uh, um, the emergency department, as an example, are people who are actually well, but are just very, very anxious about the disease. Mm-hmm. But then, I, I guess, yeah. conspiracy in 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 of itself arises from uh, a distrust of the information that you're receiving in origin. So you know people are inquisitive and they want to try and find out what's what what the actual reality of a situation is true and especially here in the united states i mean for the past four years or so almost four years uh, there has been this uh, uh, you know because of trump and his his uh, musings you know about uh, the media lies the media this you know don't trust the media yeah. don't trust the mainstream media etc so that you know it he has created a good sort of uh, environment for such things to spread you mm. know absolutely and uh, i mean and and, and <clears throat> excuse me and that's the case with majority of the governments whether they're in the west or in the in the east um governments are basically not trusted simple as mm. that you know um, but he, I think I, w- I want to add one part to this is that the the factor of financial gain by corporations, uh, whether it's a conspiratorial sort of narrative or whether it's actually true, in reality is always true. Right. Because getting patents on a specific disease, on a specific virus or specific treatment, this is part of a lot of companies, whether they are pharmaceutical companies or whether they are uh, foundations that fund these pharmaceutical researchers and, and so forth. So uh, if, let's say, this is true that Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has a patent on a, a coronavirus, and it's not actually COVID-19, it's, I think it was SARS or COVID, uh, SARS-2. Okay, uh, this is uh, This is... This can be possible because this is what they do. The, mm. the pharmaceutical companies, they will patent a certain aspect of a uh, of a disease of, of what they research is so that they can profit out of off of it in the near future. Absolutely. Um, 
even if it's even if it's to pattern a certain sequence in the RNA, they'll do that. Mm. You know, not necessarily. Wow. If they just if they've discovered a certain sequence, they'll patent it, saying that mm. this is this is our patent. And if you want to do research on this, you need to get our you need to get permission from us and pay us royalties and and so forth. Yeah. So all these pharmaceutical companies and and research R and D facilities, etc., because of how patent laws exist they seek to make profit regardless of uh, it's a new disease or it's an old disease that uh, we're dealing with. Okay. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned um, patenting and also um, pharmaceutical companies and, and foundations. Now there's been a, a recent development, I guess, with, with remdesivir, which is, which is currently hailed as the, the magical medication that will cure all Corona um, all around the world. Um, does this fit into essentially what you've just mentioned? Um, and how do you see vaccines from disavere and all of these different spontaneous, you know, discoveries that people are coming out with? I mean, look, I mean, I, you know, this more than I, you probably know this, everybody else who's in the, in the, in the healthcare field who's dealing with this disease is that, look, we don't have, a, we don't have a, a cure for this. So, the physicians, the intent, intensivists, the infectious disease doctors, they're trying all sorts of medications to treat the disease, yep. to find, to treat the disease so that um, they can at least help the patient out of the crisis that they're in, right? We don't have a cure per se. Uh, so whether it was hydroxychloroquine, whether it's remdesivir, whether it's vitamin C, vitamin D, all these other uh, stuff that uh, that's out there that the, the physicians are trying. It's it's a unfortunately it's a trial and error sort of a, a, a thing because we don't know what how to treat it. Now, this is where uh, I think the when the when a story like this that a, a drug is being utilized to fight it that is on a trial basis and it gets blown up in the media as that this is like you just said you know. Um, a medication that will cure everything. Indeed, I think the I think the media has to has um, has a lot of uh, has a, has a role to play in this of hyping up such a thing. Yes, and um, driving the <clears throat> in driving this sort of uh, uh, false information or maybe incorrect information, maybe not mm-hmm. necessarily a lie, but hyping up this this medication as being a cure, the media has, has done a, a really bad job at, uh, at that because they, they are, you know, they're using an issue that has been tried to versus shifting it to, okay, this is the solution, right? Yeah. And what, it, what this does is now it creates a market for remdesivir, like everyone wants it now. I mean, you know, uh, same thing happened with hydroxychloroquine. I mean, for weeks, I think, some of the physicians were saying this, this is not working. Mm-hmm. You know, they tried it and so forth. It's not working. Um, and that went on the wayside. And now we're jumping to another medication and the same cycle is going here. And I mean, of course, we all know the research behind it is based on a single study. Uh, there is no <laughs> substantial data on this, right? That it can, it can work. So, um, and that ends up increasing the price of remdesivir. Um, um, it, uh, because of now shortages and the company starts to make profit out of this also, right? The yeah. same thing happened with hydroxychloroquine. And people who needed it for rheumatoid arthritis were not able to get medication because there was a shortage. 
Yeah. But I, I'm not, I don't know, did you guys start using that or in the UK? No, not at all. Uh, we no. haven't, we haven't um, in the UK started to use it. Um, okay. But naturally, we're following the American news, really, because it's, 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 it's as if there's been a trend whereby, um, yeah. I think there's a broader trend, actually, to touch on it. I think there's a, there's a trend amongst nations around the world um, to shift from goalpost to goalpost to goalpost almost to yeah. say, yeah. we found something and then someone else says, no, we found something or uh, someone else says, no, we're, we're pioneering a vaccine. And whether it's hydroxychloroquine, whether it's industrial alcohol in Iran or whether it's bleach yeah. in, <laughs> in, uh, in, in the United States of America um, or whether it's yeah. remdesivir in the US or vaccines in France or the UK. Right. It's as if, you know, there's, there's a lot of, politicking taking mm. place um yeah, throughout it, this entire issue yeah i think it, all countries especially the western countries they want to be the first one to discover the cure you know absolutely um i think that, that does play into what you just said the politicking or the geopolitics of things uh, and especially for pharmaceutical companies you know having a, a having a cure um is is good amount of revenue that mm. it will come in the future, right? Uh, and and I think I think and it's it's sad to say, but a lot of the the driving factor is financial for obviously the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, I can go on like <laughs> hours worth of rant on big pharma, but <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's 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 true. I mean, I've I've been reading that. I think it's. If, is pronounced Gilead, which is the uh, the, the the manufacturer. Yeah. yeah, the manufacturer of remdesivir is mm-hmm. is touted to be charging potentially about four thousand dollars per course of treatment per patient, um, which is mm-hmm. which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the stock it, started to go up after yeah, initially it was it, it it went down with a lot of the other companies as it, it would naturally do, but it's gone uh, through the roof. Yeah. And it's it's you know you know capitalists will call this positive competition, but when you look at it from a from a human point of view, you know it's dodgy treatment, it's you know unsubstantiated treatment, which can actually lead potentially to loss of life, yeah, you know a destruction of hope within human beings, um, as opposed to producing any positive effect at all. It's a, it's devastating. I think as a situation. Yes, I think those are you made very good points there. Yeah, um, and um, it's just another trend. Um, more about the the government body. Uh, the I think the U uh, the USA Food and Drug Administration, um, who said that remdesivir was was fine to use, and then and then other countries have basically followed followed yeah. suit. Is there is there a relationship out of interest? between government and the official advisory body for medication yeah the the well the fda uh, the food and drug administration it's responsible for um you know giving um, um i think giving the license for certain medications to be on the market uh, basically it's a regulatory agency uh, um now there has always been um, a bit of influence of big pharmaceutical companies and healthcare industry officials in the FDA, um, uh, whether it's to push a certain trial drug into the next phase of clinical trials or to 
put it on the market, etc. Um, there has always been that sort of influence that's there. Um, mm. Now they do say that okay, FDA is 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 quite independent agency. It does not get influenced by drug companies and and uh, uh, and these insurance companies, etc. But uh, the data over the past few decades has shown otherwise. Right. There's always uh, some sort of an influence there. Um, now, I think the FDA in the in the recent few in the recent months and in the weeks, it has loosened up is uh, regulatory processes to to push uh, drugs forward or to allow for more testing. So, for example, um, the testing kits uh, to test for uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, now, there's like 150 test kits out there. Okay. Because all these uh, testing, all these companies are man- are creating their own uh, their own uh, kit. All right, with the swabs and the reagents, etc. Not, not all of them are FDA approved. Mm, absolutely. Right? Um, so their sensitivity and specificity is is not always accurate, right? Uh, because everybody is trying to get on the market uh, to sell their specific uh, test, and all of these uh, laboratories that do the testing, they want more uh, volume to help their uh, uh, their finances. So at the end of the day, everything just kind of revolves around the mighty dollar, really. Yes, no, Jazakallah khairan. Um, yeah. I want to move to another controversial issue. Um, controversial from a, from an international politics point of view, and I'm quite interested to get your, your opinion on it. China, um, there has been a lot of stick from the, from the United States of America towards China where Trump, for example, said it was a, it was a Chinese virus. Um, Trump blamed the WHO for backing China and mm-hmm. even cut funding to the WHO on the basis of its backing of China. Where, where do you see, or, you know, why, why is, number one, why is there so much blame unilaterally put on from, from the USA towards China when other nations haven't actually levied as much blame to China as, as the USA has. And, and maybe we can unpack this a little bit um, in, in, in the remaining time. So, you know, to start off with, you know, calling it a Chinese virus, um, you know, I, I don't want to kind of delve in too much into about the terminology, but the, because the thing is that we've called other diseases that start from a certain, certain part of the world, from where it started, like the Spanish flu. We call it the Spanish flu because it started in Spain, yeah. right? Um, or Ebola from the Ebola River and all that stuff. So, you know, naming diseases from where it started is not something unusual. Absolutely. We've done that. I mean, scientists have done that from, you know, uh, forever, right? You know, we have, like, for example, Rocky Mountain Spotty Fever, which is from, from here in the United States, you know? Never so, heard of it, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we don't have Rocky Mountains here. We just have nice hills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get. You should. You should come and visit sometime. It's there's oh. more land. There's more land here than what you guys have in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, inshallah. Um, but you know, yes. I mean, it's you know, inherently, it is not racist. 
to call a certain disease from from where it uh, originates. But you know, when Trump says it, there is a there is a certain history behind that because you know he's shown his his uh, distaste of ethnic minorities previously. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so him saying that is not necessarily it's. Uh, it's not benign. It, it, it comes from a, a deeper place of, of being racist towards ethnic minorities or calling the Mexicans, you know, rapists and so forth, or saying yeah. Muslims, we have a problem with the Muslims and all that stuff. So there's a history behind that. There's a history of, of him belittling people who are not white and so forth. So that, that plays also into the geopolitical factors, which is the, the, the trade war with China that has been going on prior to how this virus started. Um, so this blaming of China or uh, this, poli- uh, this political maneuvering against China uh, has been going on prior to COVID-19, prior to yes. this pandemic. Um, so this is another opportunity the uh, United States has taken to um, um, to play the geopolitics with China, right? Um, so I, I don't think it, it's I don't think it's uh, anything less than that. Um, the United States will utilize this this sort of uh, pandemic to push its political agenda uh, with China. I mean, we've seen that over the past few, uh, few years, uh, the worsening of the trade war, the verbal fights between uh, Xi Jinping and and uh, uh, and United and and Trump, um, the um, the, the the geopolitics of the South China Sea and all of that stuff. Mm. Uh, this is this has always been going on. Uh, this is not nothing new. This just adds another flavor, another level, um, another tool to be utilized in the uh, overall economic and political uh, geopolitical uh, political warfare uh, between the United States and China. Having said that, China is is quite dependent on the U.S. market, and is United States is also quite dependent on China's ability to manufacture cheap goods. So there is a there is a in de, there's a dependent relationship between the United States and China. It's just that who gets uh, you know it's not like a zero sum game. Who gets who gets the more benefit out of this relationship? Um, and obviously, United States has been at the winning side on this for some a few decades absolutely i mean to to use american terminology who gets the bang of the buck correct yes is is where it seems to be yeah um i guess a a a a final kind of um section and feature i think we've discussed a lot alhamdulillah um throughout this um where do you see america um post-corona how do you see a post-corona world in the united states america um, you know, th- th- when this was, I think there was a lot of news articles and reports, etc., that came out when the United States was in the thick of this. Or I think it's, we are still in the thick of this. Um, that this has uh, laid bare open United States uh, ability to deal with a crisis, right? Um, that even some authors, some writers. Um, have gone so far as to say that this is a this is uh, this is a third world country. Right? Wow. Um, 
I think there have been articles, even even in, in the British press, actually, uh, very critical of United States response and how it has been brought down to its knees uh, because of a, a virus and a, and a disease that it's unable to handle from a healthcare system perspective to, to a political perspective where you see a loss of leadership uh, uh, locally within, I mean, uh, regionally within the United States as well as internationally. So, um, so I, I think um, it's a, it's 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 a become a, you know an awakening, I would say. But I, I, I but I would say that with trepidation, uh, because the United States population uh, has generally been oblivious to some of these overarching questions. It seems okay. so. Um, but I, like I said, I would be a bit trepid. Uh, I would say this with trepidation, uh, if actually we have some awakening. But I'm, uh, but it, there has been some sort of discussion in in the um, Bernie camp sort of people, you know, yes. uh, sort of the far left. But the but the majority of the population is still kind of oblivious to this this fact that. United States is losing ground internationally, um, or it is, you know, because it um, it has lost or it is losing certain credibility in the world uh, and so forth. the The next few years, um, I mean, I think you know, the other thing, I, uh, the um, Henry Kissinger's basically said that the, the new world order is in question. I don't know if you've read that article. Yes, yeah, it's been circulating um, quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, so him and other others also have come up with the same question: is that this is this issue, this crisis has laid bare open uh, the failures of the secular liberal order uh, and so forth, of, of laid bare the the collapse of capitalism and 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 and, and so on. Um, so I think the next few months to years, um, United States will have to deal with this on a several different levels. One is financially and one is politically. Financially, I think it will uh, basically rig up all these financial tools to somehow short up the economy, somehow inject trillions of dollars into the economy. I think they were still saying that there, uh, it, can, it can go up to $11 trillion worth of uh, stimulus that has yes. to be injected into the economy to to allow for the resumption of what we would say normalization of the economy. But so these financial uh, maneuvers will, will continue. Politically, I think the United States will uh, try and gain ground. So you will have more of nationalist policies, right. I believe, uh, economic nationalism, more nationalist policies, uh, more of uh, uh, America first sort of policies, um, and and from a healthcare system, I don't think anything is going to change. To be honest, uh, because the pharmaceutical lobbies and the insurance lobbies and stuff, they they have a huge huge influence on um, on on Congress. I don't think it's going to change much really, because um, um, we've seen this over the years, and I don't think this will change much in terms of you know a revamping of the healthcare system uh, there will definitely build be, there definitely will be a lot of noise made 
uh, but I don't think that's going to be the same. Uh, that's going to result in much, you know. Because uh, it's it's naturally in the interests of people running the country or um, to, to keep things the way they are, to, to maintain the profits and to maintain uh, kind of political leverage um, and power, um, which is which is a sad state of affairs. Right. And I think in terms of the 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 people um you know it's going to be they're you know they're just trying to they'll just try uh, you know it's just the run of the mill stuff now it's just they they'll try and make ends meet as best as they can uh the the middle middle class population will be uh squeezed out you know um the poor will get poorer the debt will get much higher yes um you know, we'll probably see a lot of inflation and uh, and so forth. So, you know, it's going to be a struggle. I don't think it's going to, I don't think we're going to get out of this uh, anytime soon. I mean, initially, um, you know, fighting the disease and then uh, the ramifications of this will probably last for years to come. Mm. And I think most of the political thinkers uh, have said that, that this is going to go on for a number of years. Mm. Uh, we're basically looking at a depression uh, at the scale of uh, the last Great Depression, or maybe more, uh, just because the real economy has has been hit. And the more philosophical questions about what's the next step, what's the next, what's the future of capitalism, and so forth. Um, I think if there's no alternative, it'll continue to kind of drag itself out of the mud. You know, re-engineer uh, financial and political policies, and try and continue life as it was. You know? I mean, so, when they when they, I think it's it's weird when they talk about go back to normal. I mean, the normal was horrible, yeah. but un- unfortunately, many people don't realize that. When you have, uh, I was actually I'll give an example. I mean, this is. I was watching a documentary that was just released uh, by Michael Moore about the the facade of the Green Revolution. Yes. You know, and, you know people thought that, that the Green Revolution will change our way of life. It will, uh, you know, change our dependence of hydrocarbon dependence on hydrocarbons and all of that stuff. But that it's I think it's a worth it's worth watching that documentary. But right. uh, it's. Uh, uh, it basically kind of blows all of that into a big bubble and then this mm-hmm. green revolution has just been corporatized. I mean, it's just been, sorry, has just, the corporate corporations have just taken over this and made profit out of the green revolution. Yeah. You know, anyhow, I mean, that's, I, I went to a whole different tangent. No, there. no, no. <laughs> I think, I think the point, I think, I think the, the idea is very clear, doctor, whereby you're saying, unfortunately, um, things that, the situation will ultimately be managed somewhere and unfortunately will just revert back to its, its situation. It's, it's what it was before rather. Um, and I think, I think, you know, this is, this is a point of reflection for us as Muslims really, um, where we need to be, I mean, in a position where we're able to provide people with guidance during this time. Um, Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, you know, in, in my hospital, we've had someone who's just become Muslim. Um, oh, mashallah. based yeah. on based on you know you know you can't escape death during this time you know you can es- you can't escape it generally but society mm-hmm. tries to prove 
or tries to hide it as much as possible. But in this circumstance, there's no way of, of escaping it. And it makes people right. think, it makes people ponder. Um, you know, we, we had a really nice discussion, myself and yourself, on about yeah. you know, ethnic minorities, African-Americans, etc. You know, pe- people, people are suffering. The, the, norm is, the norm was scary, like you mentioned. Um, but, but it's a reminder for us to, that, that we should be, be there to give people um, guidance, which ultimately comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, mashallah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, but, uh, he says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا لِيْتَكُونُوا شُهَدَىٰ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِدًا Right? Uh, that that uh, we have made this Ummah, this Muslim, this, this Ummah, to be a witness over mankind, witness over people. Uh, a, you know, a just nation over people, and then the Rasul Sallallahu is a witness over you. So I think the the ayah gives us our calling. Really, is that you know, as Muslims, obviously we have this idea of life and death about risk and about uh, disease and, and health. You know, that solid foundational idea of the aqidah that puts everything into perspective. Um, about you know who is in control of all of these matters uh, that's something that I think uh, we have to offer the dunya uh, nobody else can answer that as 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 uh, as succinctly as well as in a profound way than the aqidah of Islam absolutely right um, and then I think the other thing that we have to offer which is the the more of these bigger philosophical questions of political questions, of economic questions, and of the way forward is what system that do we as Muslims have to offer? Absolutely. You know, you know we have a unique system from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that does not value human beings based on a dollar sign, right? Mm-hmm. We look at human beings as human beings, whether they're Muslim, non-Muslim. We don't look at disease as a source of revenue, uh, you know, uh, and so on. I mean, we can, you know, that's a whole, I think, different podcast uh, in terms of uh, what alternative political system, what alternative way of life, what alternative healthcare system that we can offer humanity. But I think, it, uh, as the ISS, we are to be witnesses over mankind and take take that as our calling, inshallah. Inshallah, and perhaps these are some subject matters that we can unpack uh, in in future. Uh, future episodes inshallah Jazakallah khairan Dr. Barafa for your time um, Alhamdulillah it's afternoon for you whilst it's approaching iftar for us okay. um, <laughs> Alhamdulillah uh, really appreciate your time um, inshallah Jazakallah khairan for having me I appreciate uh, uh, you asking me to come on the show and inshallah I hope this is of some benefit to your audience inshallah Inshallah. Wa jazakallahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.